0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Like Stars podcast. I am your host, Pete Goodman. Walking through scripture, questions about theology, God, Christianity, all these great things, seeking God's wisdom and his truth and how it applies to our lives. That's what we're all about. It's what we've been doing for a while now. And uh, today we're going to continue answering some of the questions that you guys have been sending my way. Uh, i got some fun ones today. We should be pretty good. As we do, as always, I say, hey, I'd love to hear from you and uh, any of your feedback And speaking of which, so a few podcast episodes ago, I, I rolled the dice. I did something a little, little, I don't know. I was trying to be about the people. So I opened up the floor to read some of your reviews. And if you listen to that podcast, you'll remember it didn't go specifically well, but I figured, you know what? I am not going to just give up on humanity. I'm not just going to assume that everyone out there has negative things to say. It is the internet after all, which if not a source of goodness and truth, what is it there for? So I figured today, why not? Let's dive back in and do a few more of your listener reviews. So the way I do this, I just jump online completely randomly, of course. These are all real. Um, And uh, I just read some of the things that you guys are saying about Like Stars. So let's do a few more. I'm sure they're going to be positive, uplifting, and encouraging, just like K-Love. All right, here we go. Uh, Here's one I found from Steve from Tucson, Arizona. All right, let's kick it off, Steve. What do you got for me? He says this. Dear Like Stars, hearing you constantly ask your listeners to give you a positive review is a bit like hearing my dog ask me to lovingly pat him on the head after taking a huge dump in my living room. I don't want to give you any stars as much as swat you over the nose with a rolled up newspaper. Bad podcast host, bad. Okay. I see where this is going. You know what? Listen, you people are not going to get me down. Okay. I I refuse. Uh, there is good out there and I'm going to find it. So, uh, let's just try another one. Okay. How about this one? Uh, Doris, a retired school teacher from Lake Tahoe. I mean, she sounds delightful, probably a wonderful older lady who will have nothing but good things to say, I'm sure. She says this, watching like stars on YouTube. Oh, she watched on YouTube. Uh, was definitely not the worst thing I've ever seen. Well, okay, thanks, Doris. I appreciate that. Uh, Let's see, she goes on. After all, I was once forced to watch an extreme close-up slow-motion video of a zit being popped. Your video was more on the level of watching a zit being popped at regular speed. Still awful, definitely made me nauseous, but at least it wasn't the worst thing ever. You know what, Doris? (sighs) You know, Doris, just... What can I say? You get a little older in life. You get a little grumpy. That's probably all that is. Uh, I understand that. I, you know, I'm getting older. Doris is probably this next one. This one I'm sure will be good because it's the opposite. This one is actually from Billy in Bakersfield, California, and Billy is seven years old. So forget Doris. Billy's gonna. Billy's got some good things to say. Okay, what does Billy have to say? He says, "Hey, like stars. Would you like to hear a joke? Um, sure. All right. Let's hear it, Billy." He says. Why did the chicken cross the road? To listen to a terrible podcast? That that doesn't even make sense. What do you, uh, okay, hold on. He's got another one. Hey, like stars, I have another joke. Knock, knock. Who's there? The chicken. The chicken, I don't, you little brat. Where are your parents? (laughs) If I could spank you, I would. You know what? Let's, uh, this isn't a good idea. I think we need to stop doing this. Uh, it's not gonna, it's not gonna be good for my emotional well-being to keep reading these reviews, so we're gonna move on. However, if you're out there and you want to leave a positive review or actually say something decent about me and not make me hate myself, uh, please do so. Jump on any of the places you listen to. If you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can just rate and review there. You can also jump on YouTube and uh, leave any comments, reviews. And if you haven't subscribed to either of those, please do. If you subscribe, you get it automatically downloaded whenever a new one comes out. So make sure you're doing that. But I'd love to hear from you. You can also email me, Pete at RisesCityChurch.com. Any feedback you might have or questions you might have, and that's what we're gonna dive into today, some more of your questions. So um, yeah, let's just get in, we've got some good ones, and I think it's gonna be some fun conversations with things that you've been asking. First, uh, let's start with, a. this is a real question, this is real. <laughs> Somebody asked me this, and it came out, I've had this one sitting here for a while, but um, there was a whole hubbub about this recently. Uh, Is it wrong for Christians to believe in things like aliens and ghosts? Now, I don't know. When I'm recording this, I'm a little ways out from it, but there's all this stuff that came out that was released about aliens. And so I've heard some different conversations about it. And so I thought I'd, you know, bring this up. The question itself needs to be cut in half, though. Is it wrong for Christians to believe in aliens and ghosts? Let's break this into two pieces, because I do think we're not talking about the same thing here. First, even the word wrong, I, I let me just say right off the bat that um, right and wrong, you know, we're we're moving more out into opinions, especially in the first half, and I'll kind of talk about the difference a little bit. So the first part of this, when we say like aliens, we're, we're obviously talking about um, you know extraterrestrial people from outer space, whatever. And when we're talking about ghosts, we're talking about something different, and these are they need to be separated because I have different answers for both of these. On the side about aliens, you know, those of you that maybe know me know that I'm a huge like sci-fi nerd and and love all that kind of stuff. It doesn't mean I really believe it's true, but that's secondary. I think your question isn't asking me whether I think there are aliens. It's more about theologically, from the Bible's perspective as a Christian, is there a stance that I should or shouldn't have on this? And my short answer is really just no when it comes to aliens. I don't, I don't think there is a there's no right or wrong. There's no, there's nothing in the scriptures. There's nothing even in Christian tradition um, outside of, I don't know, maybe some medieval stuff that would make you think that there was a period of time where Christians read the Bible and saw us as like the center of the universe and how they even argued with Galileo and others that, you know, we revolve around the sun. We now know that's not true, that we know the universe is massive, bigger than any of our brains could ever comprehend. And we don't know what's out there. Uh, We know that we're not the center of it. We also know that, as I've talked about even on this podcast, that we were created in God's image. But I want to be careful there, and it's a good time to talk about it because, as I've said before, being created in God's image doesn't mean I look like God physically. It means that I've been given responsibility to care for and manage his world. Now, theoretically, and I'm just talking theoretically here, you could have uh, some type of sentient, conscious, aware being who looks nothing like us, who has seven arms and twenty eyeballs—I don't know—and could be just as much an image bearer of God for some other world. I, is that possible? I'm not—I'm not making a case whether that is or isn't true. I'm just wanting to say um, there's nothing theologically or or in scripture that would say no, that can't be. There's no. The, the Christianity doesn't really come down on that issue. Now, I will say two things to consider. A very interesting question would be uh, if there were sentient beings on other worlds that God created to manage those other worlds, did they fall into sin? Did they, were they corrupted and needing salvation uh, the same way that we were? Did Jesus have to go there too? I, those are interesting questions. I don't know. If you push me, I would say no, I don't really believe there are. I'm not inclined to think so. Uh, but there's nothing in my theology or my understanding or belief that would say that can't be the case. I would also be very wary of using the Bible ever to, to try to defend aliens, which I've heard before. You know, Ezekiel saw a wheel within a wheel. Is that a UFO? Look, all of Ezekiel's prophecies were strange, weird visions. Um, we don't take any of them literally. We don't believe a valley of dry bones walked up and became people again. Um, so I, I don't read, and even Revelation, I heard someone do this whole thing once of like, well, maybe all the weird stuff he was seeing in Revelations were really like aliens. And I'm like, mm, I'm going to say no on that one. Um, I, I just don't think that's a good way to read the Bible. But um, yeah, I, I don't think the Bible speaks towards aliens or suggests it, but it also says they can't, it doesn't say they can't exist. So there's nothing, whatever, it's whatever. It's an opinion. On the other hand. Uh, ghosts are a very different issue, okay. And it's interesting that you put both of those together—aliens and ghosts—as if they're the same thing. They're—they're they're not the same thing, because when we talk about ghosts, we actually now are getting into something we would call theology and what we believe to be true. First of all, um, sometimes our words get a bit confused, and be careful that you don't confuse the word ghost uh, with the word spirit. A spirit uh, coming from the, the Hebrew ruach, which means breath, uh, inspirion from Greek, inspired. We believe that God is a spirit. Now, here's the thing. A spirit is not a disembodied soul, something separated from the body. Uh, that's a misunderstanding. God never had a body. And even when we talk about angels, angels are not disembodied spirits in the sense that they, it's not that they had a body and their spirit left it, they just are spirit. They're, God is spirit. The Holy Spirit, that's who he is. So there was no change of status or change of physical state. What we're often talking about, and I, this is why I want to be clear, when we use the word ghost, what we are I think what we're talking about, and I'm assuming this is what you mean, is a human being, a physical human being whose physical body dies, and the part of them that isn't physical, maybe a spiritual side of them, leaves their body, can that spirit or something come back? And, and actually that word is in the Bible. Um, in Matthew, the disciples see Jesus walk in the water and it says they think he's a ghost. They don't think he's a spirit. They use the word phantasma. Uh, and that literally was their way of saying, is that a person who has left their physical body? Um, and so you can get into this whole conversation about death, the afterlife. There's a lot there. That wasn't the question you asked. Maybe someone else, if you want to know more about that, I can touch on that too. Uh, The Jewish people believed in a place called Sheol. Uh, It was similar to what the Greeks thought of as Hades. It wasn't hell. Uh, It was just a realm of the dead. So they believed there was, was, like you went there after you died and it it was a lesser form of existence. Jewish people believed you were basically waiting until the resurrection when you could live again. Greeks had a whole different view of that. But here's the important thing. Um, there is an issue theologically here that has to be addressed. Because when you read the story of scripture, and we're not going to talk about what Greeks or Assyrians or anyone else believe, the Romans, we want to talk about what the Jewish people and thus the early Christians believed. And just for example, in Hebrews nine twenty-seven, the author says this, people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment or, or to stand before God. The idea that my spirit leaves my body, goes to another location, and that I have the ability, or someone else even has the ability, to bring my spirit back, for me to float through the earth and haunt people, that kind of stuff. I'm not saying I think that's theoretically impossible or whatever, I'm, I'm I'm not a naturalist, I believe the supernatural is possible. It's difficult to read the Bible if you don't. I just think the scriptures would seem to suggest to me that when I die, um, whatever part of me remains alive is now accountable to God. And as a Christian, um, the general belief is that until the resurrection, we go to be with Him and where He's at, not floating around here. And those who die apart from Christ, whether um, you're an annihilationist and believe that's just the end, or uh, whether you believe in an eternal hell, or like it's not either of those Christian viewpoints don't lead to the ability for me to just to float around and come back here. So according to scripture, yeah, there, we definitely believe that there is some existence beyond death, even, you know, if it means standing before God and being judged, whatever it is, but there's no option in scripture to just return and haunt people or whatever. So I would say the belief in ghosts as a return of our lost loved ones is definitely problematic from a biblical perspective. Now, here's where it really gets into play. And I talked about this actually in the last episode a little bit when uh, Michael and I did an interview together. You say, well, what about the accounts or stories of people who've claimed to see it or you know, a psychic talk to my dead grandpa or even in the scriptures, it looks like they're trying to conjure up dead people. Well, what I would say to that and a and little bit opinion, but also, you know, I think I have some backing here in the Bible. First of all, the Bible is very clear that we are not supposed to engage in that kind of behavior. (laughs) Why? Um, Well, I think the primary reason is it's likely that there is something supernatural. Um, And so I'll say it this way. Some people are like, oh, psychics are all quacks. They're all fakes. They're all charlatans. I don't actually think so. (laughs) I actually do believe that there is something real to psychics and palm readers and all these kinds of things. I do think there's something real there. I don't just deny it. I don't just write it off as a naturalist. Rather, I would say the problem is I think there's something real there, but I don't think it's what you think it is, and that's the issue. I, you know, if someone says, so I'm a psychic and I talk to the dead spirits, I would say I actually do think you're hearing something. I think you do talk to somebody. The problem is what you're talking to, who you're talking to, is is probably a lie. You're being deceived. Ephesians 6.12 says this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, Paul's talking about kind of what we wrestle with as humans, but against rulers and authorities, powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Throughout the, old, especially the New Testament, but we see it in the Old as well, there's this idea that there are other spiritual forces, and I've talked about this on this podcast before. Uh, I believe in other spiritual forces, and so when someone's like, I went to a psychic or a Ouija board or, you know, some type of seance or something like that, I want to talk to dead relatives My response to that isn't, oh, that's not real. That's fake. I actually think calling it fake is a bigger problem because if I call it fake and I call it stupid and silly, I'm downplaying something that's actually potentially really, really problematic. If you think something isn't real, you're more likely to, oh, I can go to it. Who cares? It's not even real. I think you should believe it's real, but you should be wary of what it actually is you're talking to that we're according to scriptures, we can't talk to dead relatives. We can't, you know, call up the dead or whatever, talk to grandpa after he passes away. It doesn't work that way. But we can actually talk to something. And that something that we are usually think we're talking to is usually out to lie and kill and steal and destroy us. It's not good for us. So again and again in the scriptures, it doesn't say there is no spiritual world. It doesn't say psychics are fake. It doesn't say Ouija boards don't work it actually says, stay away from those things. And think about the difference there. The Bible could have just said, oh, that's all silly nonsense, necromancers and sorcerers. Those are all just stupid silliness, but it doesn't. (laughs) It actually says, no, that's evil. It's wicked. Don't go near it. Stay away from it. Because I think there is something real behind it, uh, but what's real behind it is not something you wanna be messing with. Uh, so as a Christian, I believe, in, and if you're a Christian, there should be a belief in a spiritual world. The paranormal uh, shouldn't surprise us. The problem is we don't understand what it is. We're in the dark because oftentimes it is dark. Um, so we need to trust God and obey him and, and you know have nothing to do with it. If you are somebody who is a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and the door is open to go to a seance or talk to a witch or a palm reader, don't think, oh, it's just silly. No, no stay away from it. Trust God enough to say that is not good for you because what's behind it is not healthy. It's not going to lead for your good. So all that being said, aliens and ghosts—they're different things. I don't say any of that about. I don't know if there are other type of humans out there. Maybe, maybe not. I'm not. I don't. I'm not a conspiracy guy. I don't really believe in that stuff a lot. I've talked about that before. But there could be. I have no theological issue with it. I do have a theological issue with you going out and trying to talk to or connect with spirits or ghosts and things, it's not going to be good for you. If you want to talk to the supernatural, get on your knees and pray to God, who is the most supernatural, powerful being in the universe. Why talk to anyone else? Because you can trust him, uh, everything he says. All right. Uh, All right. That was a long one. Let's do another one. Uh, Okay. Here's someone who said this. I've been studying a lot of apologetics lately. Apologetics are uh, like defending the faith, arguments for the for Christianity. And I'm curious what you think is the best argument for the existence of God. What's your magic bullet? <laughs> uh, and I've actually been asked this question before. Uh, and I've, you know, as I do this podcast longer, I kind of forget what I have not haven't said. So I apologize if I've already addressed this a bit before. Um, I used to be really into apologetics, into arguments and defending faith. And, and over time, I kind of, I don't know, just lost interest a little bit, you might say. Um but I can still, you know, uh, let me, let me do my best to answer this. So there is no single argument that's like some magic bullet that just proves God is real. Like, you you know, you're scrolling through the internet. So this one thing will absolutely kill atheists. Look, uh, if there was a single argument that could destroy atheism, atheism wouldn't exist. There's not. Um, So even like the greatest apologists, people who spend their whole life doing arguments for things like that will tell you that there's no single argument. The best way to approach arguing for the existence of God is often using a cumulative case, like a lawyer. You know, a lawyer might have one really good piece of evidence, but they might, to try a case, they might bring 15 or 20 different things to the to the jury and say, look at all of these things. Look how probable it is this happened. There's no smoking gun. There's no fingerprint DNA evidence necessarily. Actually, can, <laughs> some of the, well, DNA, is that evidence? Whatever. Um, but I'm saying like in the, in the law court metaphor, there's no smoking gun here. Um, arguing for God is about building a case, showing that he's reasonable. And, um, I think that's, that's always to be kept in mind. If you're looking for like, what's the best argument? That being said, even the idea of a best argument, what you're talking about when you say a best argument is you're talking about what is most convincing. So I'm not a lawyer, maybe some of you are, but a lawyer, you know, trying to prove a case in court is all about trying to convince the mind of the jury that this is reasonably true. So what convinces an individual that something is true is often different depending on the individual. Some people are are more convinced by certain kinds of evidence than others. And I think the kind of the big areas we often talk about some people are very science-brained, <laughs> if that's the thing. I don't know if left or right brain. I always forget. Uh, they just love, like, the facts, you know? And so you look at some of the apologetic arguments that really deal with science. I've, I know I've mentioned, like, the cosmological argument, like, the idea of everything has to have a beginning. Um, a big one is called the teleological argument or the anthropic principle, which are big words of saying the world is sort of fine-tuned, the universe is fine-tuned in order to support life. Uh, very sort of technical science arguments looking at, you know, the laws of gravity, and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'll just be completely honest. I've studied that stuff a lot. I'm not really a science person. I didn't enjoy science when I was in school. Uh, I always enjoyed astronomy. Go surprise, like stars. Um, but generally speaking, science, just eh, whatever. Uh, I'm a philosopher at heart. I, I love ideas. Uh, science, is just, science and math kind of bore me Um, so if you're asking me personally, what I find most convincing, uh, it's always more in the philosophical side of it. I cut my teeth on C.S. Lewis, who was a famous, um, I guess you'd call him apologist, but really just an author and a thinker. This rose to prominence during the second world war (laughs) and C.S. Lewis put forward, a few arguments for God, but they were always more on the philosophical side. They weren't on like the well, look at the way the DNA helix is. On. You know, I, his one of his biggest arguments was essentially the moral argument, as we come to come to call it. It's, it comes in different ways, but Lewis, um, he really said this, and, and this is my words: science and all this kind of stuff can tell us what is, but it can't tell us what should be. Uh, he used the word "ought," like what ought to be, what should be. And so if you think about that for a second, to me, uh, you asked me what I thought, that's a convincing thing. Why is it that human beings believe that things should be a certain way? If there is no God and we're all an accident, then things just are what they are. Nothing should be anything. Something only has a purpose, what it should be when something was created or intended to be. So how you should behave is meaningless to me, if there's no God, I'm, I find it convincing that we all think there's a way that you should behave. That to me points to a creator. And that was Lewis's argument. Um, so those are the kind of arguments, the, the parts of my existential self that want meaning and purpose and want to understand morality. I'm I'm really driven by that stuff. I enjoy it. Other people, their eyes just like glaze over. They're like, Oh, I don't care. (laughs) I get it. We're all different. Um, so again, there's no one piece of evidence that I think is super convincing And I think everyone needs different convincing for their own things. I know a lot of people who the most convincing thing in their life is not an argument at all, but just a relationship. Some people don't need uh, to have all the details or the science behind it or the philosophy behind it. They just want to know, does Christianity work? I love in Revelation how it says, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony. Um, I've said that before. I think like one of the most convincing things, I think, is just what has God done in your life? more than all the arguments. Um, Maybe I'll say this too. uh, If you were gonna ask me to pick one, though, let's just say, pick one, okay. Um, I would pick arguments for the resurrection because as I've said before, I actually did a whole podcast on it. I think it's so important. I think just a few episodes ago, it was called uh, Resurrection of Trust. If you missed it, go back and listen to it. I think that um, the belief in the resurrection if jesus actually rose from the dead then everything else falls in line Uh, i don't need to make arguments from the origins of the universe and moral law if jesus actually rose from the dead so arguments for that are probably the most important i don't know if that's the most convincing but i think it's the most important um okay so yeah just my opinion um i i'm i don't consider myself an apologist necessarily if i am it's a different kind uh, I don't make argument. I, I don't know. It's not how I'm wired necessarily. And I also, the season of my life where I got really interested in it, listening to apologetics podcasts and arguing all this stuff. I don't know. Nothing ever really good came out of it. I never argued anyone to faith. Um, I never, I, sometimes I would listen to all this stuff and it would just kind of make me like angry and argumentative as a human being. And I didn't really want to live that way. <laughs> so I kind of just moved away from it. I'm not saying apologetics are bad. I'm just saying the way I'm, who I am as a person. It didn't make me a good person necessarily. Uh, let's do a few more. got some time here. <clears throat> Someone wrote in and said, are all, in uh, quotations, are all sins forgiven or are any unforgivable? What do we do with reprehensible immoral crimes like rape, murder, and crimes against children? Um, Good question. And man, you know, you want to talk about apologetics and dealing with things of the soul. I mean, here we are, right? Um, justice. <laughs> will people be held accountable or will everyone just be forgiven? Ugh. Let me start with the scriptures, okay? So, two things. First, according to the Bible, as best I understand it, All human beings have sinned. There's no human being who hasn't sinned. And therefore, all human beings are in need of being forgiven. That's really the center of Christianity, that we are all sinners. We've all made mistakes. We've all messed up. And all of us need that reconciliation, that forgiveness. We all need both our relationship with God restored because of the sin we've done, we need the punishment for our sins not to be taken out on us uh and we need the sin itself that so much ruins us and entangles us to be taken away and those chains broken we need all of us need this okay for that's the first thing so if you start lining up and this is this is tough all right this is hard I, this is difficult but let's let's work through it the minute that you start categorizing and creating a hierarchy of which sins should or shouldn't be forgiven. Who, I mean, do you really want to do that? Like, just, and just think about it. Let it settle for a second. Do you, yeah, I know you think about somebody hurting a child and it just, if you're like me, it just, your fists go into a ball and you just want to punch somebody. But at what point, where's the line in terms of the ability for God to forgive where is the point for a person to be able to recognize how what they've done and to repent and ask God to have mercy on them and God say, no, no mercy for you? Where is that line? And here's the thing. If you want to set that line, are you sure that you're on the right side of it? <laughs> are you sure that you're on the right side? Well, I've never murdered anybody, but you, you have sinned. So why is this sin better? I, what, where is the line? And the beauty of, of the gospel that is both amazing, but also kind of terrifying is that none of us are on the right side of the line. All of us are on the wrong side of the line. And you could point to someone else and say, they're worse than me. They've done worse things than me. And yeah, maybe they have, but where is, you're still on the wrong side of the line. So if you say that their sins can't be forgiven, what about your sins? And and what's so amazing about grace is that God is saying, I'm forgiving all of it. I'm choosing to forgive anyone that wants to come to me and seek me and find it in me, even the worst. And, you know, I think of a story that often gets used, Jesus told a parable, and it often gets used to talk about money because in the context, he's talking about money, but he's talking about much more than money. There's this story where, a man owns a field and he wants workers to come and work it and he hires people in the morning and then he hires some more people in the afternoon. And then by the end of the day, there's still a few hours left. He hires a few more people to come and just work a few hours. And at the end, he pays all of them the same amount of money. And the people that were hired in the morning are upset and grumpy about it. like what? what? Those guys only worked two hours and they made as much as me. And how does Jesus respond? Or, you know, what's Jesus's answer here? The He has the owner say, wait a second. Did did what I is what I paid you worth what the work you did? Well, yeah. Did you did you did you agree that you would work for that much money? Well, yeah. Then why are you angry that I chose to be g- generous and merciful to those people, even though you still got what you? And so that's what we do, though. I don't think Jesus was talking about money, to be honest. I think he was talking about grace in some ways. I think he was talking about God's generosity to human beings, where he says. Some of us say, well, I'm I'm not th- that bad. I'm not as bad as those people. Why did they get forgiven? And he's saying, yeah, but you are forgiven. Why are you even worried? Like you have been forgiven. So right off the bat, I would say, be careful when you set the line. Be careful when you say those people shouldn't be. Well, what about you? Now, I would also say a couple of things. There actually is, maybe some of you are listening, well, hold on, people, what about, yeah, yeah. There is a passage in the Bible where Jesus himself says there is an unforgivable sin that will never be pardoned. Uh, um, I'll just quote it in Mark. I think it's in Luke as well. Jesus says this in Mark 3.29. He says, whoever blasphemes, there's a big word, against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. So, oh, there it is, right? Um, We found the one sin that you, so, but hold on. Just, just I need to unpack this for a few minutes before we run with it. You might hear that and you might say to yourself, okay, so are you telling me that hitler can be forgiven but if i say something bad about god i'm i'm destined to to for eternal torments like <laughs> like wait a second how is blaspheming the holy spirit worse than murdering children or or genocide or or whatever it's not okay it's not you got to understand the context Context. If you listen to my podcast by now, I hope the word context is just like second language to you. The context of this story is Jesus first wanted. He, he saw a man who was lame. He wanted to heal him, but it was the Sabbath, and the the all the religious leaders who are so bent on obeying every small rule of the Sabbath, like you can't do work on the Sabbath, and healing that person is 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 work which is just completely misunderstanding everything. But Jesus is like, what's what's more important, that we do good or that we honor this arbitrary rule? So he heals the man. And the people are angry, and they respond by saying, it's by Satan, it's by the power of Beelzebub that he's casting out demons and doing this work. So Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, is being accused of conspiring with the devil in order to bring about miracles and things and deceive the world. So when Jesus then says after that, first he says, "Look, that's dumb," Uh, you know. Someone, a a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. If if Satan was empowering me to cast out Satan, he'd be just he'd be ruining he'd be shooting himself in the foot. That's stupid. That's his first point. However, let me just say this: like God's forgiveness is available to everybody, except those who do this. Do what you're doing. It's not, and and let me follow this through. Jesus wasn't saying that. Um the only thing that God can't get over. the only thing God finds truly horrible is if you say bad things about him. That's not he's not comparing morality here, okay? He's not he's not putting a sliding scale and saying, well, the line is way down here at blaspheming. that's past, you know, uh cannibalism and murder. No, no, that's not what he's saying. Essentially, what he's saying is this, and, and this, I'll put this into my own words. He's saying, there's only one way to be forgiven, right? Forget about where the line is. It doesn't matter. you're all past it. Everyone is past the line, and everybody needs forgiveness. Everybody needs reconciliation with God, and there is only one way you are ever going to receive it, whether you've tried to be a good person and only, you know, or whether you've lived like hell and done horrible things and you're in prison. Those things don't matter. Forgiveness and new life is now available to all human beings through one thing, Jesus, the Messiah. Okay? So, if forgiveness is only found through Jesus, the Messiah, then the only unforgivable thing is to reject Jesus, the Messiah, and essentially accuse him of being wicked and of the devil. That's the only thing that you, there's no forgiveness available to you if you reject Jesus because Jesus is the only source of forgiveness, he is God himself come in human flesh offering you forgiveness for the things you've done against God. So if I blaspheme against Jesus and I say, you're, you're, you're of the devil, you're stupid, you're not real, you're fake, he's saying there's no forgiveness for you because the, I am forgiveness, he's saying. It's not you've done a sin that's worse than other sins. That's not what he's talking about. He's not, he's not putting him in comparison. He's saying the source of forgiveness you have, re- the only way to not be forgiveness forgiven is to reject the source of forgiveness. It's to, it's to this, this is God's plan to restore you. If you reject him, you're, you're out. You're not gonna get anything. So I hope you can hear like what Jesus was saying was not saying, I'm okay with mass murderers, but I'm not okay with blasphemers. It was different than that. It's different than that. It's every human being has already crossed the line and needs forgiveness. But the only source of it is Jesus. And if you if you blaspheme and reject Jesus and what he's doing, call him of the devil or call him a liar or a fake, there's no forgiveness for you. Now, let me unpack it a bit more. And I realize I'm going long here, but I just think this is an important thing. Some people would take this verse and argue that Jesus is saying, once you do it, there's no hope for you. And l- again, I know a lot of you listen to my podcast pretty regularly, so you'll know kind of where I come at with this. Be careful when you take one sentence and ignore the rest of the Bible. Don't do that, okay? And yes, if you just had this one sentence and nothing else, you could look at it and be like, wow, anyone that makes that mistake, they're done for. The problem is you have the rest of the Bible, right? And when you compare this to the rest of the Bible, what you see is that's clearly not the story of scripture. Everyone still has the ability to repent and turn around and turn away. Um, these people were the same people that eventually executed Jesus and put him on a cross. It's the worst sin possible. That's blasphemy right there. And many of them, after he was resurrected, turned around and apologized and repented and followed him. We see that in Acts 2. So I don't believe, based on the rest of scripture, that Jesus is saying that, um, if you do this one thing this one time, that's it for you. You have no hope. I think what he's saying is a heart that is hardened against Jesus, that rejects him as Messiah and Lord. As long as you're holding that attitude towards the Messiah, no forgiveness is available. You're, you're, you're separate from God because you're rejecting God's King and God's God Himself in human form. Can you change? Can you blaspheme Jesus in your 20s and in your 30s have a complete revelation that you were wrong and uh, repent and apologize? I absolutely believe so. I don't think he's saying you can never be forgiven if you eventually apologize for it. I think he's saying as long as you live in a state of rejection of Jesus and who he is, there's no forgiveness for you. Your heart has become hardened. Um, And all that being said, and I'll, uh, I'll wrap this up. I realize, and even saying all of this, that some people would hear it and they'd say, okay, Pete, I get that. We're all on the other side of the line. We all need forgiveness. But man, isn't there any Isn't there any justice? Isn't there any punishment for people that do these horrible, horrible things? Um, and maybe that's a whole other question. And maybe if that's something you're asking, send it in and I'll try to answer it better. But um, as I spitball off the top of my head, I wanna say a few things. Number one, age has taught me uh, I'll be careful how I say this. Age and experience have taught me that even the worst human beings have a story in a past. I mean, the it's an age-old axiom that hurt people hurt people, right? And I think what's hard is we see people do horrible things and we just wanna, no. uh, you're a horrible person, I'm done with you. And what they did was horrible. There's absolute truth. But it's like, what was done to them? You know, so much of our brokenness is the result of just the cycling broken, of children being abused. They grew up and they abuse children. And I think that there's something in God's heart that that breaks. And it, man, when he sees people wounding each other, it's like, no, stop it. But at the same time, understanding their own wounds and their own pain. It doesn't excuse it. It doesn't say like, well, that was okay. Because you're hurt, it's okay that you hurt people. no. No, it's not okay that you did that. You're still accountable for it. Um, But I think to say that there's no forgiveness to a heart that wants to repent and turn back to God, even the worst, do I think that Hitler could have repented and turned back to God? He might be mad at me saying this, but uh, yeah. I think he still should have spent the rest of his life in prison or or even faced execution. Um, But between him and Jesus, could there be forgiveness? I actually believe so. I think the gospel says that no human has gone too far. It doesn't mean there shouldn't be punishment. Um, And I'll end with this so you know exactly, and I'm I'm not being confusing what I'm saying. Um, We're talking about forgiveness with God. We're not talking about repercussions of your actions. I believe that someone can be forgiven for a sin, but still need to spend the rest of their life in prison for what they did, if that makes sense. So just because God has forgiven, you've repented, doesn't mean what you did still doesn't deserve punishment. You have to live it out and face it. And, you know, it's a whole other discussion, but the scriptures even speak of potential punishments beyond death. So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess what I'm saying is I don't think that when we talk about forgiveness with God and things like that, we're speaking the same thing about earthly justice that needs to be in place. Um, I can forgive you. I can have empathy and understand why you did what you did, and still say, no, no, you, there's a there's a punishment for what you did, and it needs to be paid. But on a grander scale my relationship with God, I, I can't put the line at you, and say you're worse than me. I, I have to say all of us are in the docket. All of us are in trouble. And that's what the scriptures tell us. All have sinned and all have fallen short. The problem with the Jewish people when Jesus showed up was that they had this mindset that they were the good ones and everyone else was the bad ones, right? That the line was beyond them. They were on the right side of the line and didn't need forgiveness. And suddenly here's Jesus saying, what? No, <laughs> like you, you guys are just as bad. And Paul would need to say that in Romans. We're all we're all just as bad. So you can list all the terrible sins other people do and say, why do they get forgiven? Why do you get forgiven? The fact that you get forgiven is a sign of God's love and generosity, and it's poured out on all people that want it, Um, which is, I don't know, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, it's hard. It's like good news, and it's also harsh news. Another parable that Jesus told, that you're familiar with, I'm sure, is the two, the two sons, right? The one is a total jerk, and takes all of his dad's money, and runs off, and spends it on prostitutes. The older brother stays, and works hard, and when the, the crappy brother comes home, the dad throws a party, and the older brother's like, what in the world? Like, I've been here being good, and doing the right thing, and you're treating him, and the father says, why, "Why? everything I have is yours. You've also been with me. But this son was dead, and now he's come home. Jesus was speaking into the hearts of the Jewish people who thought that they were on the right side of the line, and they were mad that people who were on the other side who had turned their back on God were now being welcomed back in and being forgiven. Like, no, we don't want that. That's, no. And Jesus is saying, you got to understand the heart of God. I know it's hard, but you got to understand the heart of God that those who were dead that are now alive again bring joy to him, even though we're like, what about justice? (laughs) Um, It's tough, but the beauty is that it shows us that God is ultimately love. And uh, I would rather that be true. (laughs) I would rather serve a God who errs on the side of love than harsh justice, because I'd be on the wrong side of the line if he did. Okay, uh, good questions, and uh, man, we got some more. If you have any other questions, anything you want to say, I I'd love, just remember, I love hearing from you. Um, don't ever feel like you're bothering me. Pete at risecitychurch.com. You can email me anything. Uh, like I've mentioned many times, if you want to get together, talk, I'm always available. You can find me on Facebook and uh, Instagram. I'm not on Instagram a ton. I have a page, but I don't know. I'm, I'm slowly finding myself less and less interested in social media as time goes on. I'm, I'm, I'm fading there. Uh, you can also find other stuff if you're interested. Um, I have other things I've done, um, including the New Testament class I've talked about. Uh, like stars.us, the website, likeStars.us, not .com. .com was like $5,000, us US was a dollar. Which one should I pick? Uh, so yeah, uh, you can find more of my stuff there dot Um, but, uh, yeah, any other questions, send them my way and, uh, look forward to hearing from you. So until next time, uh, God bless you and, uh, keep, keep, keep the questions coming and keep seeking the Lord together. All right. See you guys. You